Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 216. I am your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Voyager's fourth season episodes, Hunters, Prey, and Retrospect. Here we go. Hunters, season four, episode 15, production code 183, original air date, February 11th, 1998, directed by David Livingston, written by Jerry Taylor, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Tani Ron as Alpha Herogen and Roger W. Morrissey as Beta Herogen. Starfleet, having recently learned that Voyager is far away in the Delta Quadrant, begins sending messages to the crew. The data is being forwarded to the ship via powerful Herogen transmitter arrays, which are run on energy of micro-singularities. The crew is excited to receive letters from home, but frustrated when the Herogen demand, they stop using the communications array. Captain Janeway defies the Herogen as many more letters from home are still in the database. You mean you've read it? Well, only the first few lines. When I was seeing who it was addressed to, I... <sighs> I couldn't help it. Would you like me to read it to you? Very well. Here's an interesting episode that's... It's interesting to me because it's indicative of the time at which it was made, what Star Trek was when this episode was made, and what holds it back for me. So this episode has... What feels like, actually, it's weird. I can't quite tell you which is the A story and which is the B story, but I think the letters end up feeling like the A story. Yeah, everything to do with the letters. And then the B story is the actual action y stuff with the Herogen. Um, but it's close enough that I could see you making the opposite argument. And what I say when, I, when I'm getting at when I talk about uh, it's indicative of television at the time is this is one of those episodes where. I kind of wish they'd had the confidence to just do the whole episode of the character bits with the, about the letters. Uh, and I think if they were making this show today, they could and they would. I think it kind of it it's trying to serve two masters and it and, and going to the actiony stuff with Herogen, which is all fine, makes it feel kind of disjointed. Not as extreme as some other A B stuff we've seen before. Um, but definitely it's this kind of thing where they just don't have the confidence or that's just not what television is at the time for them to do their sci-fi show uh, and just have a bunch of people talking about character moments with about these letters. And I wish they had. I think it would have been a better episode. But I think it's another one of those things where it's held back by uh, the television at the time and in a way that makes the episode feel a little dated to me. And so much of our podcast is about how well these things hold up. And I think this is a good example of a show that uh, has not aged well. So what do you think? Um, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Brian. Well, I also think it's kind of dated because, I mean, we all know that um, letters don't really take up that much data. I mean, you know, that's a long way. I'll give them that. I'll give yeah, that's a long way. Well, the one thing I kind of noticed that everybody just got one letter from one person and it was the most, rel- you know, Janeway got one from her, you know, her, her, her fiance at the time, you know, you would think they would get multiple letters from parents and that kind of thing. So that's kind of what dated it for me. It's kind of like, well, you know, at the time, you know, that was a big deal being able to send, you know, faxes at the time were still, you know, they were, you know, that was pretty standard thing. And email was becoming, you know, more and more popular at the time. But like I said, you know, 
here we are in 2019 and it's like, well, you know, that's a letter is pretty much just a couple of megabytes. It's not really that much data to be sent. But yeah, I see your point, Brian. It's like, well, it's being sent across halfway across the galaxy. Hey, but- maybe they were sending uh, video clips and, uh, you know, like, uh, like um, 16K video. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> taken from their pads. Is it just me or did the, uh, did the array kind of look suspiciously unfamiliar? Uh, yes, I considered doing a six degrees <laughs> question about that array, but you are right. It was the uh, caretaker model. Okay. Um, Steve, what are some of your first thoughts here? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with everything that's been said. This is kind of, um, and you know, it's interesting. You bring up that notion of, um, being indicative of its time. And I, and I think in a, in a strange way, um, like Voyager especially, and then into Enterprise, suffer from this kind of as a series as a whole a little bit, you know, in the sense that they're straddling the line. You know, at DS9, we tend to look at more fondly because it is um, it was a little ahead of its time. It went ahead by the end of it. It's embracing this serial kind of idea, you know, and not having to have episodic t- TV and, uh, you know, be a certain formula or whatever. Um, but these kind of tried to do both sometimes Voyager and then later enterprise. And this is a good example of that. So, um, but yeah, I'd agree with everything that's been, that's been said. I, I remember at the time when these were going on that I kind of, at some point I got sick of the Herogen. It's almost like they did too many in a row or something with them, you know? Like the Kazon? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're interesting in a way, but it kind of gives, yeah, you know. It's going to help that we're like watching this, like these three episodes now, and then we wait two, we, two weeks before we watch yeah. the big two-parter and stuff. But yeah, I remember thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. I like the scene when I'm, I, I like all the letter scenes, honestly, because uh, you've got, you know, you've got good actors here and, and, and the writing is, is good for these different characters. You know, the, nobody says a line that sounds like it should have come out of somebody else's mouth or something. So I pretty much like all those scenes, but uh, in particular, I, f- I find the Neelix Tuvok scene to be memorable. You know, it's 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 nice the actual interaction between Neelix and Tuvok. It's it's great after Neelix leaves that Tuvok actually sits down with his familial letters or letter, as Adam pointed out. But honestly, I like that their relationship has evolved so much that well, a Tuvok is okay with Neelix. That a Neelix read a little bit of his letter. B having Neelix read it to him, and C that even though he doesn't have any kind of a, an emotional reaction to his first communication with his family in all these years, we know he's feeling something and Neelix knows that and Neelix doesn't have to push him about it. And, you know, they don't, he doesn't have to say, this isn't, you know, uh, this is not causing interaction or there's no silly stuff like there would have been between them, you know, uh, two years, two or three years earlier on the show. Yeah. So I, I that's a good example of a, a scene that, plays so differently than it would have in the first or second season you know we feel like we're in the middle of the show's run in a in a in a way that we've earned and that i like yeah we we get normal vulcan annoyance in this scene not (laughs) not overly you know like um you know i can't stand this guy annoyance Mm -hmm. on that level i i enjoyed the um the jacote letter and the scene between um him and taurus yeah my memory though about that is that like even within this episode, that scene is good, but then there's there's one brief little scene later with Torres, and it just it doesn't go anywhere. 
in especially in the later in the show well yeah it makes it to me i, I kind of because it makes the connection to the you know the the two quite you know what's going on in um D- ds9 because ds9 is yeah. going on right now and you know we you know obviously the the alien vader you know so we kind of get to hear about all the mucky and that kind of stuff so it kind of makes the it bridges the get the the shows together in a way i think that's what i liked about it seeing that gutted corpse or whatever after they do they make a thing out of that? Is that what Hirogen do? Because I didn't have any memory of that. I'm like, wait, what's what's going on? You know what I'm talking about? Where they they beam the cadaver from the derelict ship over, and then they just see like it's the skin, gutted. pretty much. Yeah, and then they say, oh, she says, okay, beam it, beam it back. And I didn't specifically remember that, but I did remember that they were fond of organs and bones and all that in their yeah. ships of their prey. But that's all I really recalled. They're predators. We don't see anything like that again. From the I don't think so. I think we just see their their areas decorated with the bones and whatnot, but I don't think we see a like a just a hunk of skin come over or that kind of thing. Well, I think it's a little bit more horrific towards the end of the episode. We know when they're about ready to gut Seven and um, Tuvok, and you know, you know, de them. So I think it's kind of graphic. What do we think of the Hirogen? Steve, you said you remember getting sick of them because they use them so much, but I think that. You know, I like the way they look. They're certainly formidable physically. Uh, I don't think there's anything terribly interesting about this them as a hunter species. I mean, we saw like one episode of that on DS9 for a different species, mm-hmm. Tosk and Hunter of Tosk, and 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 that was interesting. But they didn't make a whole recurring alien race out of it. Yeah, I think that yeah, maybe the the Rogen are well, they're one dimensional at this point. But yeah, they're not. There's not enough to them to to kind of lack going back to them, I guess. But that you know that happens. Yeah. That happens a lot with aliens on Star Trek. They're introduced that way. Remember how the Frankie mm-hmm. were introduced on Next Gen, and then you know you know you have to flesh it out with subsequent episodes and writing. And I'm just not sure they really do that. Right, right. I mean, I think their design is interesting and stuff. It's I think it's something unique, kind of, yeah. and all that. But it's yeah, as far as the species yeah, and their development, it's got that like '80s. Um, I don't know, aliens. Right. Jim Cameron alien movie or that kind of feel, I guess. I don't know. Is this episode about anything? Well, for me, it was kind of about reconnecting with, with their world, you know, um, you know, they're, they're all the letter scenes, you know, it's like reconnect, you know, finding out that um, the reality of what's back home um, with Paris, you know, he kind of comes to terms with the fact that he is far more happy where he's at and he feels like his life is far more it's better, far more better, it's far better where he's at right now than it ever was back home. So it's just kind of like, it's kind of like a check mark. It's kind of like a, 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 to me, it was kind of like a marker for all these characters from where they had come from and where they are now. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Taurus, she's, you know, being Klingon, she's horribly upset and wants to go out and murder people right off the bat but she calms down and you know that's that's kind of Taurus you know she's calmed down over the last couple of years so I think we kind of we get a glimpse of what these characters used to be way back when and and what they are really are right now yeah I think um kind of back to the notion of maybe they if they tried to do too much in this episode and if they you know done the maybe brave choice of just focusing on people getting letters and the reactions to them you would have had something more solid because it's almost like the other story is a bit of a distraction you know it's hard to nail down exactly what's this is about because you have this whole this whole uh Tubac and seven and the erosion and getting captured and all this stuff going on which doesn't seem to have a whole lot of kind of uh 
substance to it really but yeah as far as the everyone getting their letters and dealing with that it's it's that whole everyone taking something different from the notion of moving on to a different phase of their life and and getting you know that reconnection with the past life and how how much they want that how much they need that how does that fit in the context of their current life and you know that that's a real thing that everyone deals with you know so i think that's interesting to explore yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on the, you know, the erosion in this episode where it's kind of manufactured drama. Mm. I mean, I like this episode. I think it's a solid episode. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do Six Degrees for Hunters. Um, Steve. Yep. Tiny Ron plays the Alpha Herogen in this episode. He previously played Herogen in the previous episode of Voyager, in which there is a communication in a confined space. Name that episode. Uh, I'm communication. I'm testing your memory from two weeks. Communication in a confined. Oh, um, um, message in a bottle. Very good, very good. <laughs> Would you have gotten it if I hadn't given you the hint? Eh, probably not. <laughs> uh, Adam. Yes. Tiny Ron, of course, is best known for playing the recurring character of Grand Nagus Zex servant on DS9. Name that character. Name this character. Um. I don't remember. Don't remember at all. Go ahead, Steve. Go up too low. Is it uh, is it my hardu or something? Yes, sir. Steve has two. Moving on. Prey, season four, episode sixteen, production code one eighty four. Original air date February eighteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Directed by Alan Eastman. Written by Brandon Braga. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Tony Todd as Alpha Herogen and Clint Carmichael as Herogen Hunter. Voyager discovers an injured Herogen who is in the middle of an intense hunt for what is a formidable and dangerous prey, even by Herogen standards. He is brought into sickbay for treatment, but is eager to get back out and track down his trophy prey. Before he is able to do so, the prey alien invades Voyager. It is tough-armored, telepathic, insect-like creature that the Borg have designated species 8472. Give me the prey. Lower your weapon, or I will destroy you. I don't think you will. You want me to destroy this creature? I saw it on your face earlier in the medical bay. It's a look I've seen a thousand times. Stand aside. Steve, kick us off on Prey. Yeah, so we're in the midst of the uh, section of the series that feels like tiresome Herogen stuff. And then I also remember (laughs) thinking a little bit of tiresome Seven Rebellion stuff, too, uh, in the midst of this. But overall, I think it's... um, it's interesting and it fits with the context of the series in terms of, um, you, you know, you have this this ongoing arc with Seven and how she reacts to Janeway. And this one, perhaps more than any other episode, you get that feel of it's like, it's essentially like a uh, teenage girl and her mom is what Seven and Janeway are. I mean, that's how they're back and forth feel, you know, there's, Seven is becoming, you know, more and more connecting with her humanity in such a way that she's having to understand, explore these, these feelings and things that it's just, were totally foreign to her um, prior to, you know, just a few months back. And so she's dealing with that and we get a little, and we also, of course, we have Tony Todd, which, uh, you know, the history he has, you know, um, well, on Trek, it's, it's like unmistakable, you know, we have these characters he's played throughout Trek. And so it's kind of this instant kind of connection with, with, uh, 
other episodes in that for Trek fans. Um, and again, a little, a little more on the Herogen history and, and um, where we, we see 8472. So it's kind of a, a connection with a whole lot of different recent history of Voyager episodes along with the um, the overall Trek experience with an actor like Tony Todd coming in too. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's fine. I think, like I said, I think there's certain elements of this being like, here's another Herogen episode and here's another seven featured episode, which she gets a lot of featured episodes in this season. But, you know, I certainly, this was, this was certainly a memorable episode uh, for me and um, I, I like it fine. It's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's certainly entertaining. It's got a lot in it. You know, we get more, we get like, Steve said we get a lot more Herogen stuff than that species eight four seven two. It's exciting. The hunt, you know, is on the ship. It's definitely action packed. You know, Tubok, you know, making a mental connection to um, you know eight, species eight four seven two. You know, we get a little bit of backstory. You know, this creature was trapped over here. You know, so I mean, all that's kind of good. Um, but I don't know. I just when I get to the end of it, I just don't particularly care for this episode. I I think because I kind of feel like Janeway was wrong. <laughs> I think she took it too far, um, especially in the scene where she's like, you know, we, you know, you you we you sacrifice yourself for one species. I don't. I think that's too far. I think I think to me that's taking you know your moral, especially in start. It's taking you know that's a nice moral sediment. But to me, you know, a captain's first duty is to protect the ship and everybody on board it. And nor, and I don't, I can't see any other captain saying, you know what, we're going, I'm going to sacrifice this whole ship for one creature. Um, you know, then now that argument could have been made, you know, you know, up to the point until seven, you know, refused to make the singularity or not singularity, the rift, so the creature could go back. But I mean. I just, yeah, I didn't really like the last quarter of the episode. Like uh, Steve said, it's kind of like a teenage rebellion against her mom. And, you know, it just, I didn't kind of felt like I was at a, just didn't, I didn't even agree with Janeway. And I don't find myself often not agreeing with captains. And I kind of thought the it was just kind of forced. I just, like I said, I, I don't think there's anything structurally wrong with this episode. Like I said, I think it flows well. And I think it's, I just think they just took it. I think they took it too far. For me, I mean, you know, because basically the end of the episode, the ship's just about dead in space. You got three other ships pounding down on it. And I mean, at that point, you're like, all right, we got to get rid of this creature or we're all dead. Um, so it's like I said, I didn't like those decisions they made. I think they just took it too far. I don't know. It feels a little bit like drama for drama's sake, kind of. But, you know, the relationship between Janeway and Seven. But, I mean, I like that there is some drama. I like that they've got somewhere to go. We're going to talk a little bit about it in the next episode, but there's, you know, it's a little quick to have a resolution, but you don't want these people running around the ship with that. I I, I don't know. I'm, I I like Seven already. You know, the, the feelings that I have eventually for Seven, I already have them. Does that make sense? Like, I, I didn't remember feeling that I liked her so much so early because my memories were, like I've said before, maybe a little offensive because they feel like they were bringing in you know, sexy babe, space babe to Voyager, but I think she's a great character already. I think she's interesting. She's, she's unique to all of Star Trek up to this point. That's what's cool about it. Yeah, her. but she's, you know, when we've talked about how each show has their their Spock, you know, um, Next Gen had Data, whatever. Uh, and when this show started, 
at first maybe we thought it was going to be the doctor, but it really wasn't. And it, it's, it's her. And, uh, you know, the spot character is always kind of my favorite. The one that's um, trying to find their humanity or able to analyze humanity objectively. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always my favorite character. So I like her. I like the character. I like her performance. I think she's already very good. Um, and I like, for the most part, the writing that they give her. So, you know, she's she's... She sells this episode for me, and she keeps this episode interesting. It's not that I think Janeway was wrong. I just like Seven more. <laughs> and um, you know, and at the point at the at the end of the episode, at that point when you know Seven beams the Herosian and the um, A Force the creature off the ship. I mean, at that point there was no choice. I mean, you know, I I kind of feel like Seven made the right decision at that point. There was no, there were you know, it was us or them at that point. You know. I mean, what are you going to do? Jane, we could have insisted that the writers get him out of it. Yeah. (laughs) It was a little bit confusing to me. So Janeway asks Seven to help by opening this quantum singularity. Seven says no. Uh, So then Janeway says, fine, we'll do it without you. But then, like, didn't she, like, immediately ask for Seven's help again? Yeah, it was like for yeah. That, yeah, it's pretty quick turnaround there. That that confused me. Yeah, there was a sedate the sedate the creature. Yeah, if Seven hadn't been there at the end, she wouldn't have been able to beam him away like that. Yeah, it was kind of contrived a bit. And she knew what she was doing was wrong, right? Because she didn't she like lock the bridge out of it? Yeah, yeah. Stop her. Yep. yeah. She knew like Janeway was going to try to stop her or whatever. And then it was kind of weird. Why would the Herosians stop it? Don't they like hunting and trophies? So why wouldn't they continue to pound Voyager after that? They just kind of take off. That was kind of weird to me. That was kind of a weird choice. Like I said, it was just kind of all wrapped up really quick. Do the Herogen come up any better in this one? I mean, we all, we all love Tony. Tony was great as a Herogen in this episode. I mean, I think I'm not speaking out of turn to think that we all love Tony and what he does in Star Trek. So he was cool. So yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to judge like yeah, the species or whatever because it's kind of a one character really, you know? So, yeah. He plays it very well. I mean, yeah. yeah. Evil and I'm going to... Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't particularly care for the Chakotay. I mean, I don't think. I mean, you know, I think Janeway's first mistake is that she let him out of the sick bay to go hunt this creature. I mean, what did she think he was going to do? Not kill it? I mean, yeah, yeah. Some. I mean, yeah. Sometimes the the degree to which she trusts or doesn't trust. No, she didn't let him out of sick bay. No, she did. She let him out to go to go on the hunt. Oh right. Okay. She was like, "Now's your chance. You could be a part of the hunt." But you answered to to Chakotay. Yeah, okay. No, I was thinking of a different time in the movie when she didn't let him. Yeah, okay. Is this episode about anything? Rebellion and consequences for rebellion. Individuality kind of has its limits. I think that's kind of what they were talking about. You know, you know they kind of Janeway sums it up there. You know, individuality has its limits, especially on a, on a starship where you have a command structure. And I think that's kind of what they were saying. Maybe it's a little bit about Seven growing up and you know, um, you know, this is her rebellion stage or her teenage years, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd see that. I can see that it, it's something about that balance, you know, of, of trying to that we all have to come to terms with, you know, with um, finding our own way, but realizing we have to we have to work within the context of the situation we find ourselves in, you know, and and where do you draw that line? Whereas, you know, when can you be your own self and and 
you know, you, you do what you think is right, but then when, when does that cross the line where it just doesn't fit into the context well of where, where you're at, you know? So, yeah, if we focus on her actions and so on, yeah. Is this the first episode where we get even the slightest hint of 8472 is not purely our enemy, right? Because 8472, Tuvok reports that it, it just wants it's dying and it just wants to get home or something, right? Right. And you know, Jay yeah, is kind of trying to send it home. And I remember where this is a little bit of where this is gonna go. Um Booth B and you know. Um but I don't remember feeling any sense of that the previous time we saw eight four seven two. So I'm just wondering, is is this is this the first time we get even the slightest sense of Well they make the they make the eight four seven character they make him sympathetic it's being hunted down you know mercis mercilessly yeah. you know so they they give us they this is the first time i think i've we felt or at least i've felt any kind of sympathy for the um this you know this race of beings you know because you know in the past we've seen them they're just devastating conquerors so in a in a weird way they kind of they give the the a47 creature you know they that species they give him a little bit of humanity you know it, it has feeling it's it's hurt it's wounded it doesn't want to be here it doesn't want to fight anymore so we kind of get that sense that it's more than just a ruthless killing machine yeah i think so i think so i mean you know when we had the stuff at the beginning of the season it was um they were like evil incarnate or something you know like the board can't even handle them i don't know if there was a whole lot of anything you could relate to with them that made them sympathetic All right, let's do six degrees for prey. Steve has two. Adam? Yep. Clint Carmichael plays the Beta Herogen. In Next Gen, he played a Nausicaan in the It's a Wonderful Life episode of Next Gen called Tapestry. What season was that? Um, six. Yes, sir. Steve? Mm-hmm. Tony Todd plays the Alpha Herogen. Name the character he played in the third episode of DS9's fourth season. The name the character he played in DS9, oh, the um, well, he's Worf's brother, Kern. Is that what you're looking for? No, Adam. I was going to say Kern as well. So, oh, I know what you're going for now. Yep. <laughs> okay, you you too late for the point. But what what what's the answer? Uh, Jake Cisco. Yes, it was Jake Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I was trying to find a different way to ask that question. No, no, that's clever. Unusual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Steve has two, Adam has one. Moving on. Retrospect, Season 4, Episode 17, Production Code 185. Original air date, February 25th, 1998. Directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino. Story by Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman. Teleplay by Brian Fuller and Lisa Klink. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Michael Horton as Coven, Adrian Sparks as Magistrate, and Michelle Agnew as Skarn. <laughs> While refitting Voyager's systems with newly traded weapons, Seven of Nine breaks an arms dealer's nose, Coven, a self-centered Erethian trader of weapons. The investigation leads to the possibility that Coven may have covertly harvested Borg nanoprobes from Seven and repressed her memories in an attempt to create new weapons. Seven's unusual behavior may be the result of the blocked memories beginning to surface, memories which she can't identify yet. Can you treat her? Treatment would involve integrating the repressed memories into Seven's consciousness. 
I may be able to use a standard therapeutic regression technique. I wasn't aware that you were programmed with psychotherapeutic capabilities. I wasn't. But in the absence of a ship's counselor, I've been developing a psychiatric subroutine to add to my program. I'll be even more valuable to you than I am now. Adam, kick us off on retrospect. Retrospect. So it took me a second to kind of remember this episode, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is the one where this guy steals the um, nanoprobes, and I'm like, then I, then you get into the episode, then it's like, we gotta get in all the episode, and then it's like a he said, she said, and that kind of thing. So the episode, obviously, you know, it's the Voyager getting refitted with weapons, which was kind of weird to me to begin with that Voyager is at an um, arms deal, getting new weapons and phasers. It kind of just seemed, out of, seemed a little bit out of character for Star Trek and even Voyager up to this point. But, I mean, yeah, I guess I can see the logic of that. You're in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. You, you might need new weapons. Anyway, and then you have this... Um, this arms dealer, Coven, like I said, he's self-centered. And, you know, then we have Seven. You know, we, we know Seven's, you know, not the most pleasant person to deal with. I don't find her unpleasant. But, I mean, everybody seems to be kind of on her that she has to be, you know, more polite and, you know, all this kind of thing. And I, there's one thing I was going to mention a couple episodes ago, like, you know, because the doctor is like, oh, you got to say please. And I don't know. They're just To me, they kind of got a little bit over the, the top as the episodes have gone along, like I said, I don't kind of, I, to me personally, I don't really find seven that rude. She's just seven. She's not, she's not rude. That's just kind of, that's just how she is. So, um, but I mean, they make an emphasis to kind of like make her be more nice, I guess. But we see this come out that Coven's being a kind of an ass with her and, you know, she knocks him on his butt, which is a little bit out of character for seven. She's usually a little bit more under control on that. Obviously we get into the episode and, the doctor who's been studying psychology brings out these repressed memories. And then, you know, we get into the whole kind of, um, you know, you know, she's been violated. So in the episode they're you know, they're trying to liken this to like, you know, or, you know, somebody being sexually assaulted. That's kind of what the, the feel of it is going the rest of the way through the episode. Um, which I don't really have a problem with them, you know, exploring that, you know, um, you know, sexual assaults or, you know, what, who's right and who's wrong. Or do you, you know, you need to pay attention to, you know, obviously that those types of these types of themes in this episode are kind of playing out in today's world. I just, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think they did a very good job with it. It kind of felt sloppy. And I mean, and I'll get into more you guys' opinions when we get into it. I kind of feel like, you know, if they were going to kind of go for that, you know, the sexual assault thing, they should have went with sexual assault instead of, you know, just her, you know, having some, you know, nanoprobes stolen from her. And then we also kind of, I, I kind of would have liked more about where, she, you know, they kind of just touch over it. Like, you know, she, you know, these are repressed memories from her board days seeing, that kind of thing. I don't know. That was kind of light for me. I kind of would have liked more about it. And then Coven at the end, it was just kind of extreme him running away. And then, you know, basically just going on a suicide run. So that was a little bit of a problem for me too. I want to talk about this, this idea for that. It isn't a sexual assault. I kind of like that. It isn't because, uh, because the, the whole story is centered around this idea that it's a false memory or she's remembering things wrong. I feel like if it had been sexual assault, we might have been saying something about the victims of sexual assault that I don't know that I'd be real comfortable with saying. So it's a subtle difference here, uh, just saying that she was violated by him taking some nanoprobes or something. 
but I think it's an important one. And so I'm, I'm glad in this case, because it turns out that she wasn't, she didn't really experience this violation. I'm glad that it wasn't sexual assault because I, I just feel like that would have been kind of questioning, put it another way. There haven't been a lot of reports of people getting their Borg nanoprobes stolen <laughs> in our, in our time. But, um, but I just I I kind of feel like that was kind of the underlying theme. Yeah, it was trying to go there without going there, but I don't know, Steve. What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think this is this is really interesting because I, I don't I don't think this is like a terrific episode by any means, but it's certainly interesting to discuss, especially in the era in which we are in, because they're they're certainly alluding to this notion. You know, they're they're like you said, going there without going there, but that there is that you know, that is the undercurrent. So I certainly would understand critically someone saying, is this propagating the notion that, you know, some of this stuff, you know, is made up when, when a victim says they're a victim and they're not really a victim and so on and so forth. I think it's more interesting from the other angle of there's certainly times when a person, you know, runs, you know, because historically there's this notion of, uh, someone must be guilty if they run, you know, but it may also be that they're just desperate and don't want to lose some a part of their life and they're afraid of that loss, you know. I mean, in this case, this guy, he, um, you know, he knows how the system works and he knows that being accused is going to cost him his livelihood and the, what he's used to. And so it ultimately is revealed that this isn't likely anything to do with what, what was he was accused of. It was some you know, other issue with, um, her memory or some other issue, but, um, he, nonetheless, he reacts and ultimately, um, you know, he, he dies because of it, this kind of tragic story. And I think that, I think that's, what's interesting about this episode. You don't see a whole lot of that, you know, the whole that, and in, especially in Trek where, um, at this, in this era, certainly where, you know, the actions and the we, way we go about our business, what we do ultimately results in, uh, a tragic situation where someone dies that needn't have died because of the, you know, of the actions we take and the support we give to our people and so on. So I think it's kind of a, you know, I think, I don't know if it's a lesson, but it's saying that sometimes, sometimes crap happens, um, even if everyone's intentions are the best. I think it's also interesting in this episode, because one of the earliest examples, I think, of uh, the doctor's affinity for seven, you know, which we see explored you know, in more detail later, but, you know, that protective nature and, you know, being there for her and all that and wanting to, you know, keep her safe and supporting her decision. I don't know. There's a little bit of, to me, there's an undercurrent of, of what's to come with that. Yes. Too. And it's interesting because that is part of the problem because yes. he yes. lets his feelings and his need to protect her blind him to the truth. That's seen, especially when they're in the lab and it's to him, Tuvok, Coven and the magistrate guy or whoever, you know, it's very clear that the doctor has prejudged the situation yeah. and he is not analyzing. Uh, he is not searching this lab uh, objectively. Yes. Yep. You know, the, you know, in the scene that saves it is the end when he kind of realizes that. Yeah. 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 He grows from it. And mm -hmm. it feels a little weird to me for the, the episode to end on, the doctor asking Janeway to like reset his program. And she says, no, because it, it feels like you're tagging it. Like it's a doctor episode instead of a, 
seven episodes. Right. That felt a little bit like we've seen this kind of thing before. You know, that he said, oh, you know, I should be reset. No, it's not. We we should all develop and learn from our mistakes. But we've kind of seen this crap before, you know, that part, the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In the middle of the episode, because I'd completely forgotten about the end scene. I'm like, damn, Doctor is way over the top on this. You know, he's the one that's kind of, Seven didn't seem terribly upset until he kind of started egging her on you know you've been violated right. yeah, you, need, scene, you need yeah. justice and you know she, that's when she starts getting angry and you know kind of wants wants her due and then you know even at, and even at the end you know the doctor seems far more upset about the whole situation than seven but you know seven's upset in her own way doesn't have quite the emotional response that the other characters do well we've we've kind of hinted at or said uh, what it's about a little bit but let's codify it here what's it about respecting victims and you know people that have been accused and being objective to find the truth you have to have objective if you're going to investigate anything you have to have you have to like put your bite you have to like completely shut down your bias and you have to be completely objective and you know, and, and, you know, not, you know, remove your personal feelings when it comes to accusations and, um, you know, of personal violence against somebody, whether it's sexual or physical or, or any kind of, you know, mental, mental type thing. It's, it's kind of what it's saying. Yeah. In, in a way, this episode almost tries to do too much, kind of like we alluded to earlier, but in a different way, in the sense that there's a lot that you, you could, you could, focus on in terms of what you'd want to say what do what do we really want to address here but uh, but some of it is this idea that um there's it's not always as simple as someone wrongs somebody else you know you you have this idea of um uh, i believe something this is what i this is what i think happened and the way that the whole thing comes about and it's implemented in the solution or the you know the, the nature of the investigation and whatever it might be leads to a situation where the the there's a turntable you know the tables are turned on who's the victim and so on and so forth and, and the outcome and so it's, it's a complex situation you know you can even if even if everyone was objective Let's imagine a situation where everyone was objective here and and Seven had this belief that this occurred and everyone else tried to be as objective as possible. I mean, I'm not even sure then you would have, you know, uh, guaranteed that no one came out uninjured in this, you know, um, it's complex. But yeah, I think I think there's a there's a lot going on here, maybe even too much going on. But I think yeah. it's, it's interesting to raise these points. They're, they're interesting discussion points. This is what this is one of these rarities because I think you and Steve, I think you and I agree. I don't think this is a very good episode, um, but there's a lot to talk about it, and it, it has inter- interesting themes laced through it. I, d- I just think they, you know, maybe it's just because it was made in the '90s and these things were just kind of starting to come to light at the time. But yeah, it's um, it's one of these rare occasions where uh, I don't think this is a good episode, but it's actually interesting to talk about. Yeah, it feels like it feels like one of those nuggets you dig out of someplace from ages ago, like a movie or TV show or whatever and realize not necessarily ahead of its time, but raising issues that just weren't addressed in this manner at the time and then so it's kind of interesting in that respect. Certainly not on Star Trek. Right. Right. And, you know, and I think I you know and I think because it was in the 90s and you know it's it's kind of dated because it does I don't think it handled the reason I don't think this is a good episode because it doesn't handle these things very well it's kind of sloppy like Steve was saying they try to do too much they don't kind of focus in on one thing or another All right let's do 6 degrees for retrospect Steve has two Adam has one Adam are you going first or second Um let's go first Michael Horton plays Coven, 
the weapons manufacturer with a heart of gold, maybe? In the feature first contact, he plays Lieutenant Daniels. Finish this sentence that Daniels reports to Worf. The Borg have assimilated blank the ship. I guess I should have said fill in the blank instead of finish this sentence. <laughs> the, Bo- the Borg have assimilated half the ship? Yes, sir. All right, two to two. Let's see if Steve can take it for the day. Uh, Horton also played Lieutenant Daniels in Insurrection. Did you guys realize this? I did not realize this. I'm like, oh my god, yes, it's the same actor playing the same character, right? Um, <laughs> it didn't click until I... He made it out up. without being assimilated. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Horton also played Lieutenant Daniels in Insurrection. Daniels warns Riker against using the ship's Bassard Collector. What term does Daniels actually use instead of calling them the Bassard Collectors? Uh, the more colloquially term that kind of makes more sense to us that was used other times on Star Trek as well. Oh boy. Okay. See, look at that. I gave him a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. You'll know it. You'll know it the second I say it. You'll be like, ah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I don't know. The the dish. Yeah. Uh, Adam? I'm just going to the the cells. Ram scoops. Oh, okay. okay. The ram scoop. Yeah. All right. You guys tied it for the day. That's good. Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, still enjoying uh, Discovery. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they're about to start shooting um, Picard's show. Yeah. They're, they've been announcing casting, and I think, the, I think they start shooting less than a month from now. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, exciting times. Indeed. Uh, let's see. We're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Voyager's fourth season. The first two of those, I believe, will be the two-parter, which we will likely discuss as one. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on iTunes. We love that. That's how people find us. So thank you very much for spending an hour with us. And until next time, I want to say one last quick thing. I'm going to, I'm going to say this right here at the very, very, very end of our podcast. And I know it's got the potential to offend people, but I've offended people before. So, <laughs> but, um, you'll offend real, people in the future. <laughs> yes. There was a just an incredibly awful tragedy uh, in New Zealand last week. I just want to say that uh, we love everybody and we believe in the future utopia of Star Trek when people from every walk of life, every religion, ethnicity, color, sexual orientation, gender, whatever you want, to, every, every, all of it is, are, are equal and have an equal shot at happiness in life and are loved by everybody. And if you believe in that same utopia of Star Trek, then do something about it. Vote for people that you think are going to help get us there. And uh, that's all I'll say. Can I say something else that might be offensive, but you can edit it out if you like. (laughs) Like five minutes ago, I got a notification on my phone that said the prime minister of that country has announced a weapons ban, including all military-style semi-automatic weapons.
six days after it occurred. And that sounds like a logical response. Uh, I, uh, I wish, I wish our country was as, uh, close to the Star Trek utopia as apparently New Zealand is. <laughs> well, they're they're following Australia's model because Australia did that back in the 90s when they had a mass shooting. Yeah. They just basically no, that's right. That's right. Assault rifles. And it made a difference. You can look at the data. Yep. Okay. So uh, for the people that are still listening to our podcast, <laughs> um, you know what? Even if you turned it off, we love you too. It's true. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Love you all. So Thank you again for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. Stefan, I passed it.